Welcome back, everyone, to another Racing Matters podcast. I'm joined as ever by Becky. Becky, how's it going? Hello, hello. All good here, thanks. I've got a weird twitch in my arm. That'll be drinking for you. Um, <laughs> you just need to ease off a little bit. I know you're obviously getting carried away with England doing well at the Euros. Did you watch the last game? Um, I hate to say I didn't. Well, actually, I catched the last five minutes, which was the only important bit so no friends didn't go out and watch it didn't invite you mm. you just not I invited. actually went to the theatre well that's um <laughs> is what it is <laughs> those are country's greatest sporting hour Becky goes off to watch the Rocky <laughs> Horror Show um well look I have to actually confess a long time ago uh, in Euro 96 which is the last time England did as well in one of these sort of championships um I was dragged to the theatre by my parents to watch Le Miserable and missed the very famous 4-1 victory over Holland in the uh, quarterfinals. So I, I can't really criticise you too much for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to say, uh, yes, things are going well in the football. Things are also going well in the racing world. We had a very good uh, Ascot and uh, we had a very interesting Northumberland plate. And coming up this weekend, today is the 2nd of July. Um, is the Eclipse meeting at uh, the market. So that, sorry, it sounds like so that should be fun. Um, and of course, Racing League is just 27 days away, which uh, is terrifying and exciting at the same time. Um, but um, just to talk about all things racing, but also breeding and journalism and others, we're joined by Kitty Christ of Racing Post Fame. Kitty, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, great. Um, it's sort of hectic in our world, just getting ready for a new sporting league and, um, you know, six mainstream events and all of the, the stuff that goes on with it and 12 teams and all of that. But it's it's good. So um, obviously we're looking forward to it. But um, let's just rewind uh, for those of uh, the millions and millions and millions of people that are listening to this. Um just in case they haven't heard of you, which I can't believe any of them haven't, Kitty. Um, why don't you just give us your background and how you got into racing? Okay, so I've I've come from a horsey family on on my mother's side. She was always very into her sort of pony club. She invented to quite a decent standard. Um, unfortunately for my dad, or fortunately, depending on his point of view, um, she produced four of us, who, all of us who are quite horsey. Um, so I've ridden a lot since I was younger. I've had, you know, a few ponies. I did pony club. I actually competed at quite high level in showing. Um, and I've always loved sort of horses. I've always loved writing as well. And I did a lot of essay-based subjects at school. And it's sort of really combined from there, really. Um, I got into racing around sort of, around the sort of Denman Quarto Star Gold Cup sort of time, so 28, uh, 28, sorry, 2008. Um, and that's sort of when I decided, you know, I'd quite like to go into the writing side of things because at that stage I hadn't really got any idea of what I wanted to do. And I was going to study history at university, but for some reason, that was a few years ago, um, I then decided I wanted to do journalism. So that's how really I got into the sort of journalism side. I see. First of all, that sounds very expensive for your, your 
add. Um, I pity Kept us out of trouble anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, also, coming from a sort of horsey childhood, I'm interested because I like speaking to people who have come from sort of like a pony club background and then got into racing. Did you sort of get into the jump side more than the flat? Um, it was more jumps initially, but gradually as I sort of went through, I, I this is going to sound awful, but I've never really been interested in the betting side. It's never done anything for me. I mean, obviously I'll have the occasional flatten. I'm more than happy for others to have a bet, but it's just never interested me, mainly because I'm absolutely rubbish at maths and sort of working <laughs> out for the fractions and stuff. But um, it's always been about the horses for me. And just I, I love looking at them in the paddocks and that stuff obviously with jumps but um it's it's sort of turned gradually more and more to the flat now just because I love the whole pedigree side I find that fascinating I love the sale side I love just looking at the confirmation of the animals and it's sort of been a quite quick process really or gradual and then quick process more to the flat now but I do I do love the jumps and talking about sort of how you're interested in the confirmation side of things, you mentioned that you competed um, in showing and obviously that sort of, is that where your interest for sort of the confirmation of a horse came about? Yeah, so um, I used to go to all a lot of the shows like Royal Windsor, Horse the Year show and a lot of the showing is about sort of how well put together your horse is is it you know a good type and obviously while it's different in racing you can just look at a horse and see oh you know that looks like such and such like it's quite scary I was looking at a race the other day and I went to I went to see Harzan's Derby I went to see Ulysses's um Coral Eclipse and now they've seen Ulysses have his first runners it's it, you know, obviously it's it's quite scary but it's also fascinating just because you can point out the sort of oh they move like him they've got his sort of you know his movement they've got his they look like him physically it's, it's really fascinating definitely um I cannot say the same about myself I that's that's the side I'd I'm interested in and would like to to get to know better but right now I'm a very much an amateur. Um, I want to speak to you quickly about the Magnolia Cup. Um, was it 2019 that you did the Magnolia Cup? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for those that don't know, the Magnolia Cup is a charity race at Goodwood and Kitty, yeah, took part in it. Um, first of all, how did the opportunity come about and obviously how was how was the whole experience? It was it was great, and I just wanted to survive the whole thing because I'm not a natural on a racehorse. Um, a lot of bad habits picked up from my just general riding. Um, it was great fun. I first got into it because I was on the news desk at this point, and our form editor Bruce Bruce Millington he sent an email around saying we want a rider for the Magnolia Cup, and I was quite impetuous and. I obviously didn't think it through just how much there, you know work and stuff there would be but I was just like what well, I really want to do this because I love challenges and I signed I signed up for it I was like please you know I'd love to do it I I, I strongly remember telling my mum and 
I think it was just my mum and um, she was like you do realise there's a whole lot more process to it than just signing up and saying yeah yeah and I was just like yes um, x months later I realised that um, it was it was really good fun I went to um, I had a couple of trainers I rode out for first was um, Pat Phelan in Epsom and his his yard his team and herself they were just so welcoming and just so kind and so good to put up with you know complete sort of uh, I must have been a total pain and I just you know not knowing how to sort of deal with racehorses but um they they got me to a position where I felt you know confident enough to sort of you know go up the gallops follow, follow someone take a lead and it was great I really enjoyed it it was a routine sort of getting up before work um quite early four or five days a week and I loved that I really enjoyed it and it gave me something to concentrate on outside of work you, you, you can be outside and be with the horses and I loved that and then I also rode out for Chris Gordon he was he is also lovely and his team was so good to put up with me as well um he had the horse for me I was riding in the race called Alketios Al hopefully I said that right um <laughs> And he was great. He was an old pro. He had ridden, he had taken a couple other ladies around in the race before. Um, so he knew he knew what he was doing. Um, so that took part sort of over six months. I had to pass a fitness test as well. So that was a different ball game. Um, I'd got someone to help out, um, a lovely lady to help out with that. And I passed the fitness test, which was a massive relief. I was nervous about that because I was like, you know, I'd gone all that way and hopefully. I'm not going to fail this um yeah is there um so the fitness as I remember seeing sort of bits on social media about it mm. am I right in saying that you had to do like a wall set for five minutes or something so you had to you had to do a plank for four minutes you had to do oh gosh you had to do sort of a standing squat on these sort of wobbly boards for about four minutes as well and then a wall sit to a ball you know sitting against a ball wall sit for about I think it was about four minutes as well and he had to do a riding assessment which was fine but um I was pretty nervous and I was put on oh, poor old horse who I think you know even he could tell I was nervous and I yeah that was that was a bit scary but the thing is I got through and I'm just glad I did it because I, I at one stage my mum was like you know you don't have to do this and I was like I've got to I've got to I don't let anyone down so that was the main thing I just wanted to get through. What What do you think was the hardest part of the, the, the training? Was it was it kind of learning to, you know, race ride, if you like? Was it dealing with the temperament of the thoroughbred or or was it the kind of physical side of it? What would you say was the most challenging? I'd say the, the sort of mental psychological side, because I'm someone who gets quite anxious, quite nervous. And if you, you know, horses are particularly sensitive animals, and especially thoroughbreds, if you've got even the slightest nerves, they will they will feel it, you know. And um, I just, you, you just, it sounds really weird, but if something goes wrong, if you get bolted with whatever, like whatever you do, don't panic. I mean, it's easy to say that now, well, I'm not sitting on a horse who's going flat out. But the number one thing is if you panic, it just, you know, turns it from a fire into a sort of massive, explosive sort of, forest fire and it's that that was the hardest part for me because I do get quite nervous and 
actually getting the few minutes before the race was the worst in the parade ring. I've never been so nervous in my life. Yeah, ever. What what was it like when you know you sort of set off in the race? Do, do you remember any of it? Or was it all just one big blur? I do because we were told to get a good start. I mean, the last uh, few Magnolia Cups, they hadn't got off to the best start. Um, and we were told under no sort of small thing that, you know, make sure you get a good start. We don't want another sort of, you know, dodgy start where everyone was sort of panicking, kicking off at the same time. Um, I remember it because my my horse, bless him, he knew what was going on. He's just like, I've been here before. and. He sort of half planted himself. He was just like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Um, I had to give him a massive kick, kicking the belly. We weren't allowed sticks. That's a whole different topic. Um, and I, I just remember setting off thinking, I just want to stay clear of everyone else. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to sort of, you know, push into someone. I just want to find my own space and just finish in my own time. And that's what I did. I came last, but you know, I did it. So that was that. It was great. Yeah, you should be very proud of yourself. Um, do you think that you mentioned before about sort of picking up bad habits from you know riding previously? Do you think it's almost not easier, but more like a blank slate if you sort of start riding racehorses if you sort of hunt? had the previous showing, eventing, pony club sort of experience? Do you think it is easier in a way? Sort of I, I, I actually do because when you're on, when you're on a racehorse, if you, tight, if you shorten your reins and sort of squeeze asking them, you know, in, in regular riding terms, that means sort of slow down. Whereas in racing terms, that actually, you're asking them to pick, pick up the bit and to, to you know, make a move and go quicker in a race. So that was one thing I had to sort of learn to not do very quickly. And another thing is just just the length of stirrups as well. You know, you have more control with the shorter stirrups. Where I was just like, I don't like having short stirrups because I felt really like I was not sitting into the horse. I felt like I was perched. So yeah. those were a couple of things that were sort of a bit, ooh. Mm. Um, okay, we'll move on from the Magnolia Cup. I feel like I could speak about it for like an hour, but <laughs> let's talk more about sort of what you do for work. So you started at the Racing Post and is it only recently that you've gone on to sort of bloodstock side of things? Yeah, so I joined last August. Um, I saw the application. I just thought, you know, I'd love to do this. I've always you know, I really enjoy that side of things. So, yeah. And did you, when sort of doing the application, did you feel like confident that you knew and like, did you have to do previous sort of homework to, in order to sort of secure the job or was it something that you've been doing, like sort of following bloodstock for years previously? I mean, when I applied for it, I did have sort of hang that oh should I you know should I know more will I will that be my undoing but I've been I've really been following it for quite a while I mean I've all I I've been to Arcana for the last few years before I joined helping out the sales tassels book one I was just so keen to go to all those soak up the atmosphere and just learn as much as I can and that's what I'm still keen to do now and I'm very lucky to have 
you know, some great colleagues who, you know, the game inside out. And I feel like I'm really, you know, I've really got to grips with it. Like, obviously, you never stop learning in this game, particularly of horses, but I, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself and I'm very fortunate to be where I am. Do you, um, do you think, Kitty, that, you know, obviously that we, we're all kind of aware of this sort of relentless banging of the drum that racing needs to find or should be constantly addressing a, a newer audience, a younger audience, trying to make the sport more relevant for today's uh, culture and, and how consumers behave. But do you also think that, you know, this side of it, the, the bloodstock side of it and, and the way that you got into it, it is about enthusiasm for the animal first and foremost. And, you know, if, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you're going to be interested. It's quite hard to present, you know, bloodstock in a, in a different way to it is now. Do you, do you feel when you're writing that you're, you're writing to a kind of an established educated audience or are you trying to help other people understand how the bloodstock industry works? I mean, it ultimately depends on what sort of article you're writing. I mean, we do, we do, for example, an article called Marking Your Cards, and it points out some of the, you know, well-bred debutantes, yeah, such as, so I think a week or so ago, there was a full sister to Minding, which is called Tuesday, I believe. And, you know, some people resonate with Minding, and then they'll see her full sister, and that goes like, oh, I remember, I remember Minding, I remember her hacking up in the guineas, the oaks. And I think that's a really interesting side of getting into racing because I think bloodstock has a lot to offer in that, in that regard. I mean, obviously it's tricky of COVID now, but a lot of the studs, particularly during the Tassels December sale, the new market studs, they open their doors and you can come visit the stallions. And you, it's, it's not something you see every day because obviously these stallions are hugely valuable. They're there to do a job. You know, they're not, they're not pets. But you can come in and see them, Dali in particular, absolutely fantastic at welcoming people. You can go say hello to the stallions, like Dubawi, New Approach, and even manage to you know, give them a pass and stuff. They're very relaxed. And I think that's a really, really important way to get more people in if they can see how this side of the industry works, how, you know, how the stallions live. I think that's a really important thing. It's just about opening more doors if you get get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, highlight <laughs> of the year for me, won't be going this year, obviously, but highlight of the year is the Dali Stallions Parade and it does open a window yeah. to a different world, um, but you also get to see a lot of fun and interesting people all in one place at once. I think it's probably one part of, of racing that that I think would be interesting to, to try and explain more to others. I mean, mm. you know, you're not trying to delve too deeply into the topic but I think the issue of of um of how to get across how important you know the breeding is you know in terms of the whole that sort of thing um I think that's where we might do a little bit better in profiling some of the great stallions of the past and what they've achieved uh, and 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 the mayors of course but in order to sort of show the general watching public why a horse behaves in such a way um and I think that's maybe something that we don't have time for a lot on the TV, but you know, why is, why is the son of dark angel running in this way? That sort of thing I think is, I think that would be genuinely interesting to all. 
I think bloodstock that you can you can approach it from different different angles. I mean, you can you can look at the sort of genetic side, like oh, has this particular offspring has he got more sort of has he or she got more characteristics from his from his sire or dam, and you can also look at it saying oh that you know sibling to such and such I remember that I remember him or her running and I think it's just it's it's easy to get into I mean I found it easy to get into I mean you can see it from so many different ways I think yeah um I I'm gonna put you on the spot here um <laughs> so um one of the questions that I have down here is um because some of our listeners, you know, the millions and millions, like Holly said, um, are either quite new to racing or don't know much about it, and probably especially the, the bloodstock side of things. Can you tell them something interesting or, I don't know, unique about the industry which they probably wouldn't know? Okay, so I would say one of the interesting facts is, so unlike sport horse breeding, so dressage, show jumping, eventing, where you can use artificial insemination, so you get the sperm out of the stallion, you're not allowed to use artificial insemination for thoroughbreds. It has to be a live cover, you know, no, no quarter given there, otherwise you're not allowed into the, into the, into the breed, as it were. Why, why is that? Because that, yeah, that is an interesting point. It just seems like, is it sort of just like tradition? Is there more sort of medical side to it, a more sciencey reason? I mean, it's tradition, but also the fact is if you, if you allowed AI, then, you know, there would be multiple, you know, there would only be a certain handful of stallions who would be getting, you know, all their sperm would be going to certain mares. It would dilute the breed. It would sort of close it up, and it would just it would just be absolutely you know there would be it would rule out a lot of the smaller studs, the smaller stallions getting the mares as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and just going back on what you previously said about following sort of size and their progeny, do you as a journalist? Um, do you sort of struggle when, I don't know, writing an article about sort of a sire which you never saw like in action? Because um, I'm not sure, I can't remember, you said you got into racing around 2008 or something. Mm. I prefer talking about, for example, like the progeny of, of Kingman who you might have seen at the races, the, the ones which you might not have. No, I'm, you know, I, I love researching anyway and I love watching some sort of videos on YouTube and whenever really and I've tried you know I read a huge amount about it and it's all about just doing your research really I love I love history anyway as in a general sense and I love reading back on stallions of the past and delving into sort of you know deeper deeper you know deep pedigrees really sounds more like a, a lifestyle than a than a job <laughs> I think it is I think with sort of racing journalism or bloodstock journalism if it's your passion it's you know it's not just a job is it and um I'm, I'm really very lucky it's it's great do you reckon you've got sort of got to a point now where someone can sort of name a sire and you could like list off like you know one of its um, like progenies 
yeah I mean we're constantly sort of well I'm constantly looking at sort of the sire sort of you know the stud websites the sire listings on racing post and you do you do get a handle of it just watching the races what you know hearing the names and you it does it does something it get it is something that gets into your head okay so just on on that on that note so let's you know let's just put a notional situation to play mm -hmm. here obviously there's a different thing to look at when you're when you're thinking of buying a yearling at book one sale or whatever because you're you're very much deep into the book and you do mm -hmm. general research what do um what do you think people look for at the at the in-training sales as opposed to what they would look at in the book sale so next week for anyone that's listening is the horses in training sale at Tattersall's on uh, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, I'll be there on the Thursday. Um, but what do you think people look for uh, once the horse is in training? So they're looking at the book still, of course, but what do you think they're really looking for? Well, there's a lot of international interest at these horses in training sales. Like a lot of horses will be going abroad to Australia, America, those sort of places. And I think I think people will be looking at the overall soundness of the horse. Have they raced, have, you know, have they raced consistently without sort of too many injuries? They'll be looking at the race record themselves. Like, do they think they can improve the horse or at least keep the horse's level up? Temperament as well. I mean, you know, you've got to ship them over and then race them in a different sort of a di different sort of atmosphere, different sort of environment can they cope with that it's it's different because you're dealing with horses that are proven compared to yearlings who of course haven't done anything haven't been broken in haven't seen anything of life yeah it is interesting that and i i think um i find the whole thing fascinating i, I urge anyone to to watch the sales online and and sort of get into the spirit of it because it is it's part of the industry i think that um be quite fun to shine a light on and i think we will be doing that in in some fashion with one mm -hmm. of our with one of our partners um so just um on on this sort of thing i, I like becky's question i love putting people on the spot there becky it's really generous of you to <laughs> ask someone to come up with a, an amazing fact that no one would know um i know that becky was going to ask you about standout sires this particular season but of course people talk about these things in the round uh, as in the last 10 20 30 years who, who do you think you know definitively has been i mean i think i know the answer to this but who do you think definitively has been the most influential sire of the last decade or two well you've got to, you've got to go for the whole Sadler's wells galileo line haven't you you know i mean Sadler's wells he's produced galileo monju you know the likes and then you've got Obviously, Dane Hill as well. I mean, it's it's fascinating because this season, Galileo's son, Franco, has had two derby winners. And obviously, no one is comparing him. I mean, no one should compare him to Galileo because Galileo is a one-off. But to do that is quite a Galileo-esque type achievement. So that's quite an interesting one, him bursting to the fore. And then you've got... You know, Invincible Spirit as well. His sons are really making an impact, namely Kingman. Yeah, he's he's doing fantastic. He's having a fantastic time of things. And then you've got, obviously, the Aga Khans, you know, great pair, Sayuni. He's had the dual French classic winner, St. Mark's Basilica, after Sotsas last year. And See the Stars, you know, he's going great guns as well. 
I could go on, but you know, yeah. I've got to. I'm a big fan of See the Stars, and mm. I was a, one of the horses which really stood out to me a couple of years ago was Sea of Class, who unfortunately passed away, but I was obsessed. That was dreadful. She was beautiful. I, I saw her yeah. at Newbury. She was lovely. Yeah, absolutely stunning horse. Um, and if, I guess the other question which goes along with that, <laughs> it's probably not a very nice question to ask, but what sort of stallion has been almost disappointing or not lived up to what everyone thought he was going to be? Oh gosh, um, that's always a tricky one. I mean, there's... A... That is a tricky one to answer because I don't want to upset anyone. Um, well, we can move on from that question. No, I do feel I do feel that with such an emphasis on speed, just just a general point, but with such an emphasis on speed now, that it is harder for it is harder for you know middle distance size to get a footing in, and we've seen the likes of obviously it's not a new phenomenon, but you've seen the likes of top class middle distance horses, crystallation. And and per, you know, per its word, going to um, national hunt studs, and that's that's a shame. But again, hopefully, we'll get the best opportunities with some flat flat mares being covered as well. It's it's just a very interesting point in the way the industry's sort of concentrating at the moment on on a lot of speed compared to some middle distance progeny. Yeah, and interesting that you mentioned about national hunt size. So can you just explain um, a bit to our listeners who aren't familiar with bloodstock, why some flat horses end up going to be national hunt sires? Well, it, it's, there's a variety, you know, there's a number of reasons. I mean, sometimes they move there if they just haven't quite produced the goods on the flat I mean sometimes you look at the dam side and it's full of jumpers and you know jumps producers as well and then you're looking at the race record themselves so, so you know winning I mean it's extraordinary there's even a miler who's on a national hunt stud at the moment so um yeah. but generally you're looking at horses who will stay mile and a half sort of going up to staying trips and if they look the sort of obvious national hunt type, if they're out of a strong staying mare, then that's a big factor as well, really. Um, yes, yeah, uh, in, yeah, I, that's something that I wasn't, even myself, like I was always a bit sort of confused um, about, but you've cleared that up for me and hopefully some of our listeners as well. Um, just you mentioned before about in the horse and training sales um there's quite a lot of sort of international buyers is that something that you have to um follow you know with your job but also maybe because you enjoy it following um sort of horses that go ab abroad that are from british sires yeah so we we do follow them we've we've got some um, sister company called anz which focuses on australian and New Zealand bloodstock and you see quite a few horses going there like obviously English King sold at the Tats Autumn horses and training sale um then we'll see Mirage Dancer who won a group one over there you know having come from Judmont and Sir Michael Stout so there's lots to keep an eye on there's there's plenty plenty out 
out there and in you know um, America, excuse me. And obviously, there's a huge demand for horses here going to Hong Kong as well. Yeah. And would you say that um, England has probably got the, or well, England and Ireland have got probably like the strongest bloodstock industry, or is there somewhere else where you think they've got? A really great sort of portfolio of sires. I mean, it's difficult because you're sort of you know in America they do they have a lot of dirt racing and so it's sort of horses for courses really. In Australia, there's a lot of sort of emphasis on speed again, but they've got some fantastic sires out there as well. Um, in terms of Britain and Ireland, like obviously it's incredibly strong. We've got you know Jabmont, we've got Dali, we've got. Coolmore and the Coolmore and Dali obviously have places around the world. Uh, I'm also also think there should be a shout out for the Japanese racing industry because obviously they had the amazing Deep Impact. I mean, yeah, well named, um, and they've they they do racing so well over there. I feel like there's there's a whole avenue to be explored there. They you know there's lots of sort of emphasis on soundness and middle distance horses. Is it's, it's it's really exciting, I think. Yeah, I saw that, um, well, I heard as well that um, a dragon symbol um, at Ascot the other week, the one that Asheen, well, won on and then, um, mm. you know, it, it, he didn't win. Um, he actually sort of sourced the horse and bought it in mm. Japan um, and his owner sent it over to Archie Watson and he looks mm. very promising. So yeah, Japan is definitely very exciting when it comes to um, what they produce. Um, I guess the last question I really have to ask you, I'm not sure whether Ollie's got any other questions, is um, what advice would you give to someone who may be interested in pursuing a career in the bloodstock side of racing? Well, I sort of attended a load of sales. I went to Arcana and Tassels. And if you can just take a look around, I mean, ask anyone anything. I mean, there's so many people who are just so happy to help, particularly, obviously, it's a busy time for vendors and stuff, but they were all very happy for me to take a look and walk their horses up and down while I did a bit of filming for our social media. But um, I've really found that the bloodstock industry is is very welcoming. It's, it's very, op very open to people asking questions about what, you know, what do they look for in a horse? What do they sort of think of this and that? And don't be afraid to ask for sort of, oh, what do you like about this horse? Or, you know, I, I just, I feel if you, the more you ask, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, as it were. And while I'm not pretending I'm anywhere near the level of, you know, Nancy Sexton and Martin Stevens and James Thomas set out, you know, there's so many people you can follow on social media as well. And if in doubt, message. That's the beauty of social media is you can get in contact as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Ask lots of questions. It probably does seem quite overwhelming because even sort of, being in racing, I know very, very little about the bloodstock side of history. And there's just, you could probably feel like there's just so much to learn, but. Yeah, but you know, everyone has to, some, I, I, do, I do feel that everyone has to start somewhere. 
And just because you're starting somewhere, you shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of sort of just asking for help. Like, I, I feel I'm new, new, newish to this journey and all I want to do, you just, if you want to just keep on learning, then it's out there and you can, you know, there's plenty of publications to read as well. And I just, you know, don't, don't be afraid to ask. I know it's a cliche, but really, really don't be afraid to ask. It's, it's always, it's always great to have people asking questions about bloodstock because it really is a fantastic industry and horses, you know, there's just, you can see, you can just see the sort of development of these horses from foals to yearlings to two-year-olds and hopefully onwards and upwards. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's quite, it's quite refreshing to hear that. Um, you know, I think all sports can seem daunting. Um, you know, mm. they're hot, not all sports are easy just to get into, but to become, if you like, expert on. I mean, who's an expert at, at anything until they feel they've finished it all? Um, I think if you were to start playing golf now, you know, you'd be overwhelmed by the amount you feel like you've got to learn, but slowly and surely it sort of comes and goes. And uh, But it is, it is nice to hear someone uh, young talking about being open um, and, and I, you know, that is one of the great benefits to social media is that, you know, people can interact with people like yourself and, and learn stuff. And that's great. And I've learned a great deal. Um, I expect we learn even more if we carried on for another couple of hours. We could probably talk about this stuff all day as I want, but um, we will let you get on because you've probably got interesting things to do ahead of a, a busy weekend and a busy next week. Will you be at the sales next week? Um, I'm currently looking into that. If not, I'll definitely be watching. Um, should be should be a good few days anyway. Um, yeah, there's also some quality racing on, so uh, oh, absolutely a, a busy a busy week for for Newmarket, mm. um, and yeah, a busy week for everyone involved. So look, Kitty, thanks very much for joining us. Um, Thank Becky, you. thanks as ever for uh, taking time out of your social diary to <laughs> record a podcast. Um, Will you be watching the England match this weekend, Becky? Um, when is that? Okay, so that's a no. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, but anyway, um, to all the listeners who are watching who, who um, are interested in the football, it's on a Saturday evening at 8 o'clock, um, and England take on the might of the Ukraine in the quarterfinals of Euro 2020 slash now 2021. There's also a bit of racing on in the shape of the coral eclipse. And um, yes, right. Thanks, Kitty. And thanks, Becky. And everyone listening, if I don't speak to you, I hope you all have great weekends.